Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 16 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. My guest today made his ROH debut back in 2004. He's a former ROH World Tag Team Champion and one of the all-time great top high flyers in pro wrestling. He is Matt Seidel. Matt, welcome to the show. All right. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's great to be speaking with you. Um, first question I always ask on this podcast is, uh, what have you been up to during quarantine for these past several months? Wow. Yeah, these past several months have been, you know, it's a very big change for me. I'm very much used to spending my entire life traveling and wrestling. However, during the quarantine, I live in Florida, so it has been especially challenging here to uh, stay isolated and really lay low. Uh, luckily, I have a workout set up at my house. I have wrestling mats that I roll out and stretch and I do my yoga on. Um, I've been working on a few side projects where I've, uh, my dojo has a website, SyDojo.com, S-Y-D-O-J-O.com, where I actually have created some video packages that people can purchase for aspiring wrestlers who have yet to go into a training school, kind of as a, a prep course for your first day of wrestling school, as long as a bunch of yoga videos and some other stuff uh, that I've done with my brother, Mike Seidel. So yeah, it's been, it's been a productive time and I've been able to, been fortunate to have a lot of family time as well. So lots of meals at home and, you know, lots of time with the family. Absolutely. Trying to make the most, uh, trying to turn a negative into a positive, I guess, what, sort of what we've all been trying to do. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, for me, it's, you know, there's no negatives or positives. It's just all the way things are. And so, you know, in, in summer, it's hot. In winter, it's cold. And, you know, we just do our best within the, the parameter that life gives us. <laughs> all right. Understood. So as I, as I alluded to in the intro, you obviously have uh, a ton of history here in, in Ring of Honor. Uh, I mentioned that you made your debut back in 2004 in ROH. The show was titled ROH Reborn, and your opponent was Delirious, who also was making his ROH debut. So in anticipation of you being on the podcast, I made a long-distance call to the edge of sanity to speak with Delirious and ask him about that match. Uh, here's what your longtime rival Delirious had to say. So Delirious, I understand that your first match in Ring of Honor way back in 2004 was against Matt Seidel, and it was also his first match in Ring of Honor. What are your memories of that? I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, anything else you'd like to say to Matt directly? Because he will be listening to this. So uh, what would you like to say to him? Matt Seidel, go back all the way with us. The 2000 Gateway Championship Wrestling. It's a bad guy. 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 It's a b
Very well said. Delirious, thanks for joining me today. So Matt, what do you make of those comments from Delirious? Okay, so that, you know, to, to many people that just sounded like a delirious babble, but I think I understand his style of glossolalia better than most. And I did hear a few, you know, uh, I think he lays in a little secret code to remind me of the wild drive we had up to Minnesota, sort of a last minute booking. Um, without, without Delirious as a rival, I really wouldn't have been able to have such a spark and a big launch into Ring of Honor. Uh, you know, you, nobody goes in there and wrestles themselves. And so having an opponent like him absolutely was what brought an extra level of intensity, insanity, and madness to this match where we were truly fighting for our jobs. And uh, we were both very fortunate to make a distinct impression on that wild, I think it was a Friday night in, in Minneapolis. Uh, I mean, you have to understand, I mean, th that was a great uh, man, again, you know, delirious. Well, he always shows me up with those promos, but I'll tell you what, uh, when it came down to it, that match and who, who was the better man in the ring, I'm pretty sure back in 2004, that was me. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many wins he's had on me since. I know I beat him again when we were back in Ring of Honor in like 2015 in Atlanta. Anyway, to say the least, we have a history dating back all the way to the year 2001. Um, so basically 2001 was when Delirious and I had our, probably had our first matches against each other. And then um, we moved our way up and got a little bit of work in NWA TNA back in the Wednesday pay-per-view days. And that led us into IWA Mid-South Wrestling, which felt like it was just on the periphery of Ring of Honor. So back in 2004, I was a junior at the University of Missouri-Columbia. So I'm a junior. I'm in the business school at Mizzou. And I remember not caring one bit about school. I mean, I did my work. I, sh I ne never turned in assignments late. I always did, did what I had to do. But when I'm walking through the halls of the business school, I was just a daydreamer about getting into Ring of Honor, which at that time didn't even feel like it was a possibility because it was like low-key, amazing red, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels. I mean, just it was the, the elite of the elite of the independent scene. And, you know, my goal was to work my way up to that level, but I just, there was no clear path. There was no ROH dojo. There were no tryouts. So getting your foot in the door at ring of honor was quite, uh, what seemed like an epic feat for just two kids from Missouri who, while we were, we, tri we paid, we paid money way too much to train at a wrestling school, but we really were training ourselves up until that point. And the only real training we got would be when we would come across a veteran like Tracy Smothers or Jamie Noble on the Indies who would then just divulge all this amazing knowledge to us or whether it was like before a show at IWA Mid-South and Alex Shelley and Claudio and Hero, we would all kind of get together and share tricks of the trade. Um, but I mean, wrestling was a very different world. The world was very different back then. I mean, you couldn't just look somebody up on YouTube. You had to have a VHS tape. <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, I, I don't want to sound ancient, but in a lot of ways, it really was an ancient time in wrestling. 
And um, this it was an it was the biggest thing that had happened in my career to that date for sure by a, a long shot. Well, I know that you actually started out as a as a backyard wrestler right before you hit the independent scene, um, and were officially you know were trained. Um, and I know you grew up in St. Louis. You're not, you know, I know you're a young guy. I guess you were born in the, in the 80s. But were you aware of the, the wrestling history, the rich history in St. Louis? Were you aware of that growing up? Yeah, uh, well, I will. So to go back to what you said, truly my, my style that should show up on, on tail of the tape is backyard wrestler. Backyard <laughs> wrestling was my style. Um, you know, they, this was at a time where, like, if you watched the WWF programming, it was, say, before Monday Night Raw, it would say, do not try this at home every single time ever, before every show. Right. Do not try this at home. And um, I sort of thought you were, that we should follow the rules. But then we heard about these kids uh, that lived in a different part of St. Louis that had their own backyard fed. And a friend of ours gave us a tape of their matches. And we were just like, this is the coolest thing ever. Because as much as I love watching wrestling, I really loved doing it the most. So, you know, uh, luckily in St. Louis, wrestling was a lot more accepted in popular culture than it was in other places. There was a radio show called The Stranglehold with Brian Stull. And I think it was on Tuesdays or Wednesdays or Thursdays. But every night for a couple hours, there was like an intelligent adult speaking about wrestling, kind of like the way they spoke about Cardinals baseball or St. Louis Blues hockey in a real respectable way with with a lot of honesty included about the differences between WWF wrestling and independent wrestling and local wrestling versus, you know, Japanese wrestling. In addition, he also hooked, got me would occasionally have like a mini golf contest where if you went, you could win free tickets to events. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. So that, that's how I was able to actually go to these wrestling events was to go to a Brian Stull event and then basically just beg him for the comp tickets that he would get. Uh, like, so we were obsessed with wrestling. So yeah, we learned about the history of Harley race and wrestling at the chase yeah. was just a, a thing of infamy. But you know, at the, when I started wrestling, I, I didn't think I deserved to be in it because wrestling wasn't for guys like me. Wrestling wasn't for young kids who are, you know, 19 years old and 135 pounds. It just, we were just told that door, the doors closed to you. Uh, but if you want to have fun, go ahead. And uh, so that's sort of how I started wrestling. I didn't set out to be like in the league of legends. I just wanted to be between the ropes. So as a, as a backyard wrestler who wasn't, obviously you weren't, you weren't trained. Uh, did you find that just getting in the ring and, and doing what you were doing kind of came natural to you? Um, well, I mean, I was just, com I was compelled to do it. I was compelled to build rings. Like I, I was obsessed with the wrestling ring. So some people are obsessed with somebody's promos. Well, I was obsessed with the ring and the way the ro you could bounce off the ropes and all these things. So when I started building my ring, the first one was on a trampoline. So you can see why I leaned towards doing flips and other acrobatics because there wasn't really a risk to doing them on a trampoline. Then I think I was 15 going on 16 when we really built a ring with iron poles and wood and a wood frame in my backyard. And that was where like there started to be consequences for some of that high flying stuff or like taking high angle bumps on your head and doing brain busters. But really, you know, wrestling 
as complicated and intricate as it is, you know, what you see is what you get. So what we saw on TV, we either, if we loved it, we would imitate it. And if we hated it, we didn't. But a lot of the time, the matches we started off doing would be like, hey, you be Jerry Lynn, I'll be Rob Van Dam, and we'll just kind of wrestle each other as those guys. So we had that, their offense to pick from and their feud to work with. And then just eventually, when the imitations wore off, we developed our own personalities. We developed our own fed, where me and my brothers would argue over which match goes where and who's wrestling who. And just really, we enjoyed having our own miniature version of wrestling. Um, you know, it, I think it really kept us, instead of worshiping the idols uh, on the big screen, we just had fun doing it ourselves, having our own league, um, and really just making up our own rules, uh, which when I got to the <laughs> wrestling dojo, it, I, I was, let's just say I was off by a few steps, <laughs> but it didn't take, it, it took me just a few months to really figure it out and, and to get over the fear because really there was just this intense fear, um, that kind of went along with the ass kickings I was getting handed. Um, so I had a healthy fear of wrestling uh, and eventually just started working through that, facing my fears, started wrestling guys a lot bigger than me. And once I figured I could take that punishment, I was um, really ready to go in there and, and dive in head first. But yeah, my first year, uh, let's just say I didn't have very many W's. <laughs> Understood. Um, so I know that you also, uh, when you got a little bit older after high school, you attended the University of Missouri and got your degree. And, and you did that while you were also wrestling um, on the indie circuit. My question about that is, is your parents, did they strongly encourage you uh, to go to college while you were pursuing this wrestling thing? Or was that your decision? This was, this was all my decision. Uh, I mean, I, I planned on going to Mizzou when I was like a, you know, I was just a backyard wrestler when I started planning for college. But by the time I went away to Mizzou, I was working on an indie every weekend, usually just local St. Louis acts. But that was like my freshman year, my sophomore year. By my, and then by my junior year was when I was cutting class to, draw, to go to Nashville to wrestle for NWA TNA, you know, coming back, going, doing one, doing a class on Friday and then heading straight back out to get to Chicago for events out there, Indiana on Saturday, and then cramming back home on Sunday, working at, working at Subway on Sunday night and then going into class on Monday. I mean, it was, it was madness, but I, it never struck me as too much work or too hard. I just, so I thrived on it and really wrestling was my passion. I never, did it for for money or for fame i was just doing it because i was compelled to and i loved being in locker rooms with these wrestlers that i had idolized and growing and learning as a wrestler and getting to perform i mean i think i i think around that time throughout college i really started to come into the performance side of wrestling whereas before i just was a spectator i think and i really converted myself to a performer a, a lot through these matches i had with delirious but yeah like i said I was, I was in college and, you know, with planning, you know, just getting my business degree, um, working out at the pretty nice Missouri athletic, um, complex they had on campus there. But I mean, every day I was at the gym every day I was at class. I mean, it, to me, there was not a wasted second in that day. Um, there was wrestling to watch, there was wrestling to do. And really the, as hard as I would work during the week, it all paid off when on the weekend I was free to just 
get in that car and go to wherever there was a good wrestling show. Right. And as you said, not a lot of money in those early days. It's uh, what's the cliche hot dog and a handshake, right? Uh, yeah. But I mean, I, again, like a lot of people think that, that the payments is what's important, but for me, it just, it never crossed my mind to approach it as a profession. Right. It just, you know, I mean, it was almost like um, a, a college athlete doesn't get paid even though the company they work for makes millions, right? Like your coach makes millions of dollars. The Mizzou football team gets sponsored by probably Nike and Reebok and all these places. The players don't see a dime of that. So I felt more like a college athlete, let's say. You know, I was just going out there and doing the work um, because the, the wrestling ring was the most magical place for me. It was, it was heaven. And so it didn't matter how far away it was, I would slide in that car and get out there. I mean, it's, you know, I just have a... I think I just, my philosophy doesn't really line up with a lot of other people's assumptions about what wrestlers are thinking in their head. So I'm just trying to like put you in my head where it, it, it wasn't, I, I never even thought about if getting, uh, asking for $40 instead of 30 or, you know, a couple of times when the, the wrestler I would wrestle would be making, you know, seven, five to $700. And I knew I was not getting enough gas money. It sort of set in like, oh boy, like, am I at their level or what, you know, what's up with this discrepancy? But that discrepancy didn't really last that long in my head. Um, because when I really felt like I started to deserve money, I really started to move up the ladder in wrestling. And, um, you know, that was, I, I think I was in college when I had my, ah, my first flight to Ring of Honor, but that might've been in, that might've been after I graduated. But let's just say, I mean, it, paying your dues was what we were told you had to do to make it in wrestling. First you pay your dues, then the dues pay off. And that is how it worked for me. I, I believed in that system of work hard and grind and grind and grind, and then it'll pay off, and it really did for me. All right, well, we've got a lot more we need to, uh, to get to. Uh, we're just scratching the surface here. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with more with Matt Seidel. Also, later on in the program today, we have Quinn McKay. So we'll be back right after this. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Monday, the same day as this podcast, as we catch up on all the groundbreaking ROH news and get some exclusive comments from some of your favorite stars. We also have some really great weekly segments like Question of the Week and my personal favorite, the Week by Week Physique. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ringofhonor for Week by Week. We're back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Matt Seidel. Matt, in, in your first ROH run, you, you're a guy who's just uh, in your early 20s and just a couple years off the indie circuit. Um, you mentioned earlier, like basically sitting under the learning tree with some of these great performers. Um, I mean, it's guys like AJ Styles and Nigel and, and uh, Austin Aries, Christopher Daniels, Kenta. You got to work with all of these guys. My question, though, is obviously it was a great learning experience, but was it at all intimidating as a young guy um, who didn't have the experience that these other guys had getting in the ring with guys that are at such a high level of performance? Uh, well, you know, I think I was just a brazen young kid with total fearlessness. I, I remember being apprehensive about the first time I wrestled um, Homicide and B-Boy in a tag match. And then really of the matches that you, of those guys you listed that I met that, that I worked with in ring of honor. I mean, like Christopher Daniels and AJ styles, 
went out of their way to reach down and help me out and show me and just treat me like an equal. And they, they gave me so much respect. I actually started to have more respect for myself. Um, and the matches I had with them were giving me that response of credibility through the crowd, which was a really big struggle because today ring of honor fans walk out and the crowd really applauds for them. And back then you walk into Philadelphia and they hate you first. You have to earn that respect. I mean, I would go to shows and they would call me a lot of the time that hardcore wrestling was extremely popular at this time. And they would call me thumbtack because I was, they felt I was about as dangerous as one thumbtack. So it was an uphill battle to earn respect. And it was an uphill battle to be thought of as a credible wrestler. So that was, um, very uplifting for me to work with CD and AJ. I mean, they are just to, to this day, they're guys that I look up to and try and be more like and learn from. I mean, they, it, it's always hard when you're like, Oh boy, someday I'll, I'll make it to where they're at. But those guys are still wrestling at the top of their game. So it's just like trying to join them as peers the same way, the same way they respected me. Then I feel like, you know, we, we still have that to this day. The most intimidated I was, was when I had to wrestle Kenta because I mean, Japanese wrestling was a thing of lore and legend. And if you've seen Kenta from that era with the junior tag matches, in addition to his stuff when he was tagging with Kobashi and wrestling Kobashi, who was the, the highest legend of the time in, in my world of wrestling, just literally these mythical men, having Kenta come to town, to Philly, you've never met him, you've never wrestled a Japanese wrestler before in your life, and you're, you have to just go one-on-one with him. Uh, I was just really fortunate that I had friends who had the tapes and I was able to do enough research where I wasn't terrified. But yeah, I went in there and just went for it. There wasn't, I didn't have time to worry. I didn't have time to think. I mean, you know, I, it's not like I knew about that match months in advance and had all this time to be afraid or, or, or fear it or prepare for it. Um, Luckily, I just trusted my training and all the work that I've done up to that point. And I actually really loved that match I had with Kenta. I'm sure I, it was a little bit one-sided in his favor because I was still coming up. I was still, a, you know, really in young boy stage. But he really gave me a great match. And I remember hitting him with a Rana that felt so good. And really, we had the crowd in Philly on the edge of their seat for that two count. I mean, I can still feel that one. Um, when, when you're able to get a near fall like that against a guy who basically on paper didn't look like you'd have, you'd stand a chance with, that was really what I was looking to get to, to show that I was a contender, to show that I, I belonged in that league, even though I didn't know whether I did or not, I, I just bit down and went and went for it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and mentioning Christopher Daniels, I know that you guys had a run as uh, as the ROH world tag team champions beat the Kings of wrestling for the titles, held them for a few months before losing it to uh, some guys named uh, Jay and Mark Briscoe, who I think went on to have a pretty good career as well. Um, so that must've been also quite a learning experience teaming with Daniels, who was a seasoned vet. He's like in his, I guess he was probably in his mid thirties at that point. You're still cutting your teeth, as we said, and now um, you're teaming with him. And, and I, I assume traveling with him. Um, it just must've been another great learning experience. Yeah, well, I mean, we didn't really tra- travel together because these ROH shows would just be a weekend, and I, he would fly in from California, and I was just driving to the events. So, right. um, but just doing the, ma- you know, we're, 
a lot of people are like, oh yeah, you learn on the road, but you learn in the ring. Uh, he is a ring general, and that is an, a lost art. Well, it's not a lost art form. It still exists, but not many people are capable of it. And it's a very special and true thing that when, the closer you are to the action, the more you learn. So being in the corner when Christopher Daniels is wrestling is a learning experience. Having him tell you, reach for the tag, tag me in. You know, he's, he's giving me instructions as we go. My ears are open and my mouth's shut, and I'm just almost following orders of the general. And we had some great matches. I mean, and we would come up with really creative ideas to combine his offense and my offense. And I remember both of us having ideas and having a really, like, warm reception to some of my ideas, whereas, uh, you know, you would consider some veterans might not be as open-eared and uh, – receptive to ideas cd was super receptive and i mean we just had uh, a, ton, a ton of great matches wrestled a lot of opponents and i really felt like it that's what leveled me up um was being surrounded by guys better than me until i was able to lift myself up to their level when we were all on the same stage those those matches i had with christopher daniels i mean you have to understand i was an indie wrestler but i hadn't won you know, 50 belts and 50 indies or anything silly like that. I was IWA Mid-South Light Heavyweight Champion. Um, and then, then I became the Ring of Honor World Tag Champion. And this, that was huge. I mean, that belt is beautiful. I mean, it, for someone like me who grew up, you know, thinking that that might be the highest I could ever get in the sport of wrestling, you know, it was, a, it was, it was an honor to carry the belts and the the talent that we were wrestling against was all was always great and personally i love tag team wrestling it's always been my favorite and i'm sure there's a reason it became that because of all the matches i had with amazing tag partners in ring of honor for sure well you mentioned japan earlier too and i know that you actually got to work extensively in japan uh for a couple of years i think it was 2006 2007 uh, Gate. What was that experience like, I guess, from a wrestling standpoint, getting to work there in Japan with that style, and also the cultural aspect of being basically a young kid who's now in Japan? Yeah, so my, my journey to Japan is another Ring of Honor story, of course, because you have to understand Ring of Honor is the epicenter of quality pro wrestling. Um, it, al it always has been and it always will be. It's where the best guys tie up. And a lot of the times it's where the best guys tie up for the first time. So at that time I was tagging with AJ Styles and we were set to face off against Genki Horiguchi and Dragon Kid. I mean, in the US, I think it was Philadelphia. So this match was what was the catalyst to me going to Dragon Gate because we did the match. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was unbelievable being in the ring with Genki and, and Dragon Kid. They're just on another, they're truly on another level. Um, so after, I mean, me and AJ, of course, I, you know, my memory of the match is slightly faded, but it, it in my memory, it was an epic one. And then, uh, just a, maybe a month or two later, I get a message on my, MySpace from SEMA <laughs> offering me an opportunity. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Offering me an opportunity to, to go to Dragon Gate and stay for three months and just get, get started there. And I mean, to me, that was the greatest opportunity I could, I could ever have. And, and so that's when I, I kind of went from being an only ROH guy to doing ROH and Dragon Gate tours, like where I would go to Dragon Gate 
for after the first couple month tour, I would go for three or four week tour, come home for 10 days, get in an ROH show or two, then slide back out to Japan. And I did that about 15 times in those years or whatever, about 15, 16 tours, I believe. And yeah, I mean, I just, everything about Dragon Gate solidified that professional wrestling was not dead. It was a respectable thing that I could be a part of and really have some self-respect because a lot of time I wouldn't want to tell too many people I wrestled because they were locked in to ancient stereotypes. They were locked into, well, wrestling's just two six foot five guys that are 300 pounds oiled up in their underwear, you know, hugging each other. And I really believe that wrestling could be whatever you wanted it to be. And when I started wrestling, I was trying to do the wrestling that if I was a fan of the crowd, which I was previously, I would do the wrestling that would make me the most excited and give me the most for my money. Uh, very good value. And I'll tell you, Dragon Gate really was just a place where a extremely professional organization, very well ran. We would take the bus between shows. We would have sp uh, people in local towns take us out to meals. Uh, the Japanese fans bring gifts to the events, small things from the convenience store, sometimes really thoughtful things, even great things to any young pro wrestler like protein bars and, you know, just, just little things like that. We, we really felt honored and respected. Just the exact mentality that Ring of Honor had is what I really felt when I was in Japan, that this was a, that, that profession, being a pro wrestler was like respectable, high quality entertainment for everyone. And these, the Dragon Gate shows I was on were so inspirational. I mean, my, like the guys that are the biggest influence in my career, like Sima and Yoshino and Doi, you know, I was with these guys every day, all day, 24 seven. And, and it was the first time I really was a part of an organization, not just as a wrestler, but as a, as in a, you know, with an organization like Dragon Gate, everybody had a role in addition to wrestling. So in addition to wrestling, you would help set up the ring. You could help set up the chairs. In addition to wrestling, you would also put the flyers on, this, on the chairs. But I was really a part of something. And that's what really connected me to it. And, and that's when I knew that I didn't want to do anything else with my life other than be a professional wrestler. Uh, you know, you just, that, that kind of respect was not what we were getting in the United States. And um, yeah, I just fell in love, with, deeper in love with Japanese wrestling and the Dragon Gate style. And oh my God, the Dragon Gate ring is just this, the, the, the Japanese rings for like I've discussed, I'm kind of obsessed with them. They just really have a quality to them that's unmatched. And I, I just, I loved wrestling in that ring. I loved sleeping in that ring. I loved stretching in that ring. I, I learned so much from the Dragon Gate wrestlers. And, and, and I got, that's when I got the Dragon Gate wrestlers introduced me to a, in Japan, we call it, uh, in the U.S. we call it a gear maker. But in Japan, they called it a costume, a costume. Uh, and, and, and that's when I changed my gear. That's when my gear got upgraded. And that's when I really started to gain confidence because I was start. I, I had a unique look that was original and professional. And this wasn't just like half homemade gear and like semi, you know, I, I really felt like 
I was developing a look and an attitude to go along with all the skills and the technical abilities that I had been accumulating over the years. And, you know, I mean, that, like, gear's always been important to me. Like, the look and the feel of wrestling always matter. And, like, part, over quarantine, you asked what I've been doing. Well, I've also made myself two pairs of knee pads. And my girlfriend and I are working on a new ring jacket and a new pair of tights. So, I mean, I, I really do DIY everything. Um, and it's all inspired by that time at Dragon Gate. Everything I do to this day is still inspired by what Dragon Gate does today and in the future. I mean... I really felt like we were the crest of the wave of the change of wrestling. Like if wrestling was going to be looked at differently, we were going to make a new stereotype. When people think of wrestling, I wanted them to think of what I do, not the past. Uh, so that, you know, that's kind of been my goal since I've been wrestling to modernize people's old held views of, of pro wrestling and, and give them something to believe in today. Absolutely. I think you've done a great job of that. Um, I want to ask you about another promotion that you were involved with at that point. It was a startup. It was uh, Wrestling Society X on MTV, which was something I was kind of fascinated with at the time because it, it was different. It didn't look like anything else that was going on. It was, um, they, had, they had live bands performing. Um, and some of the talent was there was, you know, you and, and Vampiro, Tyler Black, Jimmy Jacobs, I think X-Pac was there. I guess my question to you is what attracted you to that project and why do you think it ultimately didn't work? Well, what attracted me to the project was being offered work on TV. I mean, <laughs> it, it was, it was just a really cool concept. And actually I was involved in the pilot episode. So I was really honored to be like, a part of it in the super early days. Um, it did feel like a slimy TV show with some of the contract stuff. And like, you know, me as a young kid was like, Oh, I guess I'll just sign this, even though this contract's completely upside down and backwards and is insane and locks me down for five years or something. But, uh, they, you know, I was able to work with them and kind of add a few amendments to my contract. But it, uh, of course, I mean, like it was this great, it was filmed in LA we got to go out there for a week. We, they put us up at a really nice hotel. They had a pretty well-organized uh, show structure. We would sometimes do two shows a day. But like you mentioned, the lineage of the, the litany of quality wrestlers that were there. For me, my first match there was against Jack Evans, who is, you know, when you said I'm one of the greatest high flyers, you know, for me, Jack Evans is, is that guy for me because he's just always been an incredible, original, next-level star and um getting to work him in that first match i think we might have been the we might have been the first thing you saw of the entire series yeah. outside of the ring announcer i mean we that was it we were the first match out of the gate and I, looking back i mean even today i didn't i didn't realize i'm not realizing this until now how important and how much they believed in us and how you know how how much they bet on us so I will tell you one thing. The reason it failed was it had nothing to do with the wrestling or the wrestlers. <laughs> uh, no, the reason it failed was just MTV was not behind it. It was just, you know, it wasn't a really like, they, it wasn't a project that they were into that they promoted. I don't believe they even aired the last episode. Uh, I think they just kind of aired eight and then canned the, canned the show. I mean, that's how TV shows are. So we didn't take it personally. I mean, there was no, no nothing guaranteed that it was going to succeed. So we just did it. You know, we just put our hearts into it and then let it go. I, 
I really don't hold on to any matches or anything like, oh my gosh, we, we deserved better. MTV should have given us another season. I, I mean, who that's, you know, those decisions are sort of out of my hand. And I believe it was just kind of the executive, the, the VPs at MTV got shuffled around. And, you know, it's, if, if wrestling's not the cup of tea of the, of the next executive, then no one's going to be able to push for it or get that through. And really it was that, you know, they were just blind to see how um, brilliant of an idea it was. And I think that idea was just rehashed worked through a little bit better and then given better production and upgraded in what became Lucha Underground. And um, actually at that time when Lucha Underground was starting, I had talked to Conan about joining and then our Ring of Honor had talked to me about joining and I knew I couldn't do both. And at that time, this was 2014 or 2015, I, I joined Ring of Honor. I went back to Ring of Honor. So um, I would have definitely been a part of the second round of what was WSX and then led into Lucha Underground. I would have loved to be a part of that, but I, I picked Ring of Honor because that's sort of where my heart always was. I want to touch on briefly your time in uh, WWE Developmental, which was, I guess, right after the Wrestling Society X thing ended. Um, you were with Ohio Valley Wrestling and then later became Florida Championship Wrestling. I, it, people have different memories of those days. I've, some people that went through that system have very, uh, talk about very good experiences. Other people did not. What was your experience? Well, I mean, my experience was, I felt like there was definitely a lot of head games. I, I mean, but, the, you know, not blaming the office. It's more like the wrestlers you're surrounded with. It was a lot of people who wanted to be stars and not a lot of people who wanted to be wrestlers. Um, yes. it, it was a different, it was a different world. I mean, I, I came, not, WSX was just like a one-off thing. It wasn't really a part of my life. What was a part of my life was being a Dragon Gate wrestler. So when I showed up to OVW, you could chop me 50 times and I wouldn't even turn red. And I had a chip on my shoulder because I had just come from the most amazing futuristic wrestling place. And then I landed in OVW where everybody was more focused on like how they wrestled in 1972 and 1980. And I just couldn't care less because I was about wrestling for today for today's crowd because I knew these people didn't want to get insulted. I knew they wanted to see action. I knew people wanted hard hitting wrestling that they could connect with. And um, I showed up to OVW and I'm not going to say everybody there was on steroids, but everybody was jacked up. Everybody was huge. And I had just left Dragon Gate where uh, that was a place where I was not even like, like I was like a medium sized wrestler. So I immediately went somewhere where I was much more undersized. However, it only took me three months to become OVW heavyweight champion. Um, and that's because I didn't just follow what everybody else was doing. It's because I wasn't the same old cookie cutter guy in his underwear hitting an RKO wrestler. I was an original. And I really stuck to my guns. It's just you have to modify your wrestling style based on who you wrestle. And if you're wrestling guys that aren't as familiar with high-flying wrestling, you really do have to tweak things. And that's when I started kicking a lot more. Uh, in Dragon Gate, there was a wrestler named Mochizuki Masaki, and he had the best kicks and the strongest kicks and the heaviest kicks I've ever had to accept in a wrestling match. And so I knew that if I brought those kind of kicks, I would have a lot more believability in my matches because I wasn't going to throw hands with somebody, but uh, you have a little bit, you know, my arm reach isn't that long, but my leg reaches a little further and it kicks a little harder. And, uh, I kind of have a baseball bat attached to my shins. 
And that's what I used to gain an advantage in OVW. And I really was just looking for a way to stand out um, there. And basically, we were at OVW for five, six months. And then OVW shut down. They fired everybody except me well, and a few other people. But they just it was just this we were living on the edge because as soon as I got to OVW, rumors of it ending and there were guys fighting for con- people were fighting for contracts. It's just it was a it was going from Dragon Gate where everybody was working together as a unit to per- put on a great show for the fans. And you know, if you're not the star today, the idea was if you worked hard and stayed with the company, you're going to be the star eventually. And we all have a role to play. And at OVW and FCW, it, it was like if you're not the main event, you're not worthy. If you're not the top guy, are you even trying? Uh, I love being the first match. I, I love kicking off shows. I feel like that's an important role. However, that kind of gets downplayed in today's society where it's like, if you're not the main event, you don't have as much worth as other guys on the show as the um, talent that's the undercard. But if you're an undercard for talent you really believe in, then being, being that undercard is really an honorable thing. And like, that's kind of what I was in Dragon Gate. I had worked my way up to a top act. And that's how I was in Ring of Honor leading up to it. I was, I was an, op- an opening act or an under, under act for these main events for, you know, Samoa Joe versus Kobashi or Punk and Joe doing 60 minutes in Dayton, Ohio. I mean, um, for me, being on the show is some of the best wrestlers. Anyway, when I got to OVW in these developmental places, that's when I was like, I'm the best one here. I'm ready to go. Who wants it? Like, I, 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 I had no fear. Uh, I definitely had self-doubt. But when it came to getting in the ring, there was nobody who I felt had more skills or more technique or more heart or more drive than me. And anybody who was, nobody was willing to go through what I was willing to go through. Uh, so I figure if you suffer long enough, eventually you can rise up to the top. And I always believed that the cream would rise to the top. And, you know, it's a, it's a long story how I got myself called up, but you know, I've never been somebody who the system has, has provided for. I've always had to creatively acquire my status on my own, um, through creativity uh, because, you know, I just, there were, there's no formula to get to the top. And so I've kind of had to create my own path. I sort of think about what I was doing then as like, there was a foggy area. Like you're, you come, you're in the woods and there's some fog and you're trying to cross this river that's flowing with water flowing fast, but you know, some guys have made it to the other side. There's Paul London, there's Spanky, there's Jimmy Yang, there's Jamie Noble, there's CM Punk. So you're kind of, walking through the fog you find one rock you hop to the next one you carefully aim you must be precise you cannot slip you jump to the next one still you got to keep on hopping next one there's no room for slipping there's no room for error and that was my mentality I mean a lot of I mean the, the pressure I put on myself to perform flawlessly was just always there and I mean that's just that's always been my mentality and I really feel like my, my, that fearlessness to jump through the fog and see where I got to the other side that got me there. And that helped sort of illuminate the path back from kind of ring of honor to WWE from guys wrestling in Japan to WWE. Um, because at that time, you know, ring, ring of honors parent company wasn't really much of a parent company. There wasn't a big budget. And so they were almost trying to help guys make the living elsewhere and use only younger talent. Now, Ring of Honor's changed where you can be Jay Lethal in the Briscoes 
and you and Ring of Honor is not a stopping place; it is the place. Very, very well said. I, that is certainly uh, a change with um, from from the early days, right, to where we are now. You mentioned working um, the opening match and how how much that meant to you. I, I grew up; I'm a little bit older than you. I grew up in the territory days when we had what were called preliminary matches. And, and it really was like the matches you just wanted to get through, the, the card kind of built from the matches you didn't really care about all the way up to the main event. But in the modern sort of pay-per-view era, you could argue that the second most important slot on the show was the opening match because it really set the tone for the show. Like you want to get off with a hot opener. Yeah, and I mean, there was just no room for filler. But yeah, you did, setting the tone of a show is great because if the fans don't get loud and open their mouths and they don't get comfortable cheering, booing, yelling, screaming, getting the feel of it, you know, if they're not introduced to wrestling in the right way, then they end up just kind of sitting on their hands all night. Right. And I, I want, and when these shows opened, I got a chance to expose fans to wrestling that they had never seen. I only tried to do original moves, original techniques, or stuff that was unheard of previously that, that I was trying to do. So that way I could open people's eyes and kind of expand their minds to what's possible for the rest of the show to come for the rest of the night and really just make them feel like by the time the match one ended, like if they had an emergency or had, they had to leave, Hey, they at least got their money's worth right then. I really felt like delivering value to the fans meant you respected them back because the, the idea of ring of honor, it's always been about respect between the wrestlers and between the fans and the wrestlers, there's a mutual respect and so if you go out there and mail in a match, when these fans, they worked all week, they can't mail in at their job to earn the money to buy a ticket, to have the gas money, to get in the car, to pay your car insurance money, to get to this show. You know, so respecting the fans was the first thing out the gate that we were doing. So I just tried to give them their money's worth in the first 15 minutes. <laughs> You mentioned uh, that it's sort of a, a long story, but it's a creative way that you got to the main roster. Um, and I, I know you've told the story before. Is there, a, is there a shorter version that you can tell of, of how you got to the main roster in WWE? Well, the story, I mean, the story, it just goes, I booked myself. I, I was in the d developmental system and I felt like I wasn't getting any attention from the higher ups or the people that called people up to the roster and gave them storylines and stuff. So I, I, just showed up at a show and kind of weaseled my way into wrestling Jamie Noble in a pre-show kind of just when there's no, there's just the wrestlers ringside before the fans have been let in. Um, I just went one-on-one -on -one with Jamie and showed that I had skills. And the next day I wrestled Jamie Noble in a dark match with fans there. And then the following day, Matt Seidel debuted on ECW. You know, there was sort of a shortage of talent, and I knew I could fill some kind of role, and I showed up. And then not long after that, I started tagging with Kofi Kingston and then having singles matches with Chavo Guerrero on ECW. And, I, I mean, I was really kind of off to the races. I had this feeling, and it's the same thing I said about Ricochet, it's once you put a guy like us on TV, you can never take him off. Um, you know, once Delirious and I wrestled at that reborn stage one for – $35 that we were offered for to making 35 hours of driving. Um, we, we were on the Chicago show the next night. 
we, you know, we, we were, and then we had to go, we had to go drive to New Jersey for a do or die. Like we weren't officially on the roster, but we were booked. And, and um, that's what basically what happened with me in WWE. I wasn't on the roster, but I was booked. And then, I mean, it was just a few weeks later, I was started to appear on, on every live event. And I, then all of a sudden I was doing five WWE events every week for the next, you know, four or five years, minus a few injuries. But yeah, I mean, I've stayed busy. That's, that's been my thing is I, I love making towns. I love getting to the shows. And I love performing for the fans um, because I was, you know, I used to sit in that crowd and stare at that ring with wonder and awe. And um, I still kind of get to be that little kid that does that. And then I go out and I get to deliver for the fans as well. I want to uh, touch briefly on your WWE run. Uh, you mentioned the, the uh, tag team title win with Kofi. Um, which obviously that was a huge deal. But there were some moments there where it seemed like you were going to get a, a huge singles push. I remember you teamed with Rey Mysterio at one point, I think, to beat John Morrison and, and The Miz. There was another episode I remember where John Cena picked you, handpicked you to be his partner to go against Edge and Sheamus. And you hit the shooting star press on Sheamus for the win, and it really seemed like, this was the big push. You beat Chris Jericho on a pay-per-view. But despite all that, it seemed like that push kind of started, but then it stopped. Do you, do you have any idea why you think that follow-through never really happened? Well, I, you know, <clears throat> like I said, I look at wrestling very differently than everybody else. I don't believe you need to be pushed to have worthwhile. I, I, I don't even know what that means, to be honest, because that's just not how I viewed it. Um, you know, I mean, if you get injured in wrestling, you can't get back to work. So, you know, I definitely had a couple in, um, an ankle injury that's, that really debilitated me significantly and kind of hurt that. Let's just call it momentum. That's what I would call it. That's what you do in wrestling. You build momentum and you get going because the momentum's with the fans, but you know, that this is at a time where Zack Ryder was, you know, being cheered intensely. And like, so if you want to look at an example of a guy that got like, maybe let's say a, a, an unfair shake. It might be a guy like him, but I was on every show every week wrestling every time. And so being a part of the WWE being a, like a roster member, I was doing, I was doing media every Monday, Monday mornings before raw, I was doing radio phoners on Thursdays and I was wrestling Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Um, so, you know, I was just doing my job. That's, that's what a wrestler does. And, I mean, I put on great matches. My matches with Chava were incredible. Uh, we, I would say I was disappointed because a few times I would be told, hey, save it for the pay-per-view, save it for the pay-per-view. And the pay-per-view match with me and Chavo never came. Yeah. Um, so stuff, stuff like that did happen. But like I said, I had that match with Jericho. I, I, you know, I, I look at it as a, a great big success. And at that time, like I said, there's honor in being the undercard. You know, there were, I, I, we would go on tour and it would be Triple H and Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker and John Cena. So for wrestlers who think, who have these mad out of control egos that are, they're just insane where they think they should be the top draw, even though they're not actually drawing the money. You know, you, in wrestling, I, the, I did always pay attention to the numbers. What our uh, live events numbers were, how many people came to the events, how many people bought pay-per-views. And, um, you know, the, the people you credit for that are the guys on top. So it would be, you know, being two, two years into a company and, and saying, oh, I deserve a push. No, it's always been a long run game for me. And like I said, my, my, I, 
it, they told me that I couldn't even do the shooting star press when I debuted. And in my head, I had a long run game plan to, to be able to do that shooting star press in six months to one year. It took me like three weeks to be able to do it, maybe a month before I started doing it on TV. So, um, you know, I was able to get everything I wanted. You know, it, it's kind of, I, it, I always feel unfair when people assume that I wanted to be uh, or felt like I deserved to be a top guy. You really have to put in your work. I, I, nobody, you're not going to be the president of the company if you've been, you know, uh, cleaning the floors for two years. But by the time you've hit 20 years, that's when you're ready. And right now I'm on my 20th year of wrestling. So anywhere I go, I will be the top guy. That's not a place for somebody who has only 10 years experience. That's just not enough. And to, to lead a multi-billion dollar company at that age, I mean, it's like you'd, you'd have to be nuts or you'd have to be well, really well-groomed like a guy like Randy Orton was to be able to assume a role like that. But he was groomed from the top down, which is how the best always raise up the next generation. So the guy that's going to get the, – the next guy that's going to be on top is like, for example, Samoa Joe and Jay Lethal. Samoa Joe ran Ring of Honor when I was there my first run. And his protege was a guy named Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal runs Ring of Honor now. Whoever Jay Lethal's next protege is, you know, that's going to be the guy that'll be at the top of Ring of Honor. There's, there's only room for basically two guys at the top. So for, for me, now's the time when I'm the top guy. If I go back to WWE today, that push or whatever you want to call it, it would be impossible to not give to, for me to not be in that role because that's where I'm at in my career. When you're still on the upward rise, you just work hard and grind out and earn fans in every town. I always, always sort of, me and Chris Masters would say we were politicking, but not politicking backstage. We politicked with the fans. We shook hands and kissed babies because we were building our following person by person, handshake by handshake, has as the same way we always did from the indies into ring of honor you shook people's hands you looked them in the eye and you said thanks for coming appreciate you see you next time and you know these towns that i wrestled in in wwe ring of honor still wrestles there we still wrestle there and um you know the, the people they still remember and they fans don't as long as they see you perform it doesn't matter if it's the first match or the last match they appreciate it. They respect it. And when I wrestle, they sure as hell remember it. And uh, so, you know, for me, it, it doesn't matter what role you're in. I'm getting paid to perform. I'm getting paid well. Uh, I really enjoyed my, the acts I was doing and the guys I was working with. Um, so I just completely disagree with that mode of thinking. And that's just not how a professional like me sees these matches. But, you know, people see wrestling in very different um, through different little kaleidoscopes. And I have, I, I have mine that I view it from. And I like sharing my perspective with everybody else because it might get people to calm down because you'll see a tweet online where it's like, oh, come on, you deserved a, a bigger push than this. And the fans are, they're honestly, they're trying to give us a compliment, but really they're actually saying something insulting and, and factually wrong because there can only be two guys at the top at any given moment. So um, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a backwards compliment uh and it's really just kind of misplaced logic so you know i'm here to clarify everything for you guys oh, appreciate that I, I think from my perspective it was more of just um not necessarily that you were going to be the world champion back in 2009 but that um i think fans and i'll put myself in this in this category i was obviously i'm a fan 
was that they were hungry for just maybe some new names, new faces to kind of be in the mix uh, of the top. And it seemed like you had won the fans over and, and people were kind of ready for you to maybe be getting a run with the Intercontinental title or the U.S. title or to be more involved in that top mix. And, uh, and that's all. That's just that's Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that definitely would have happened. I mean, like, you, you know, that was 2009. I had a good run as a tag team champion. And then I wiped out on a motorcycle and broke my foot and never wrestled for WWE again. Right. Um, you know, I had about a two-year injury period, more like two and a half years, kind of three where I didn't feel good wrestling. And even to this day, I've got a huge lump on my foot, a calcified bone on my right foot which actually it, it's a, it's a bur it's a curse and a blessing because when I kick people in the head with the lump, it really hurts them, but it also hurts me. <laughs> uh, so I just, I mean, I really did just, I, I had a, a, an ankle injury, uh, my shoulder popped. I mean, we, I was wrestling five days. I mean, I was just wrestling like a maniac against monsters and like Seamus ripped my arm out of the, sh out of the socket basically. And then I came back from an injury and I would just get, you know, I would just go from uh, being being on the disabled list to wrestling five days a week. There was no like gradual process and there was really no help or assistance. It was just, you know, you're on your own, do it yourself, get ready and go. And, um, you know, I think I, I kind of struggled getting back to, to, to a hundred. I never got back to a hundred percent because I could wrestle at 70% and still be better than, you know, 99% of guys. Right. So I, I, w I was just kind of wrestling hurt, and uh, that's been a struggle throughout my career. Just it's a, it's a violent, brutal sport, and um, yeah, but I, like, you know, it's, I, I certainly was in line for that, and I, you know, they tell you, oh, your family, you'll be here for life, and, there's, and that sort of was the approach I had, that I would kind of fight through these injuries and get back to work and get back, build that momentum, and I, I, I definitely saw myself as a contender for – the intercontinental and the U S championship. Um, but, and, uh, you know, right now there's great guys like Ricochet and Uha doing it. And those guys came from, come from the same lineage as me, you know, ring of honor, dragon gate, all that stuff. So even if I'm not that champion, uh, I was able to introduce the world to, you know, at least partially take credit for introducing the WWE universe to that and getting, and now guys like Ricochet and Uha, I picked up the torch and, you know, that I, they're, they're going to run and run and run. And I, you know, I always encourage my, my fans to watch those two guys specifically, uh, just because I really believe in who they are and what they do. And, um, yeah, I mean, it seems like they're carrying on for me just as well. And I've always had an independent flair to myself. I'm not a kid. I never once sat at my home and was like, Oh, someday I want to be a WWE wrestler. That, that was not my dream. I wanted to wrestle for ring of honor. I wanted to be a Japanese wrestler. Like, I never wanted to be famous or rich through wrestling. I wanted to be respected by the wrestlers I respect. And that's what happened at Ring of Honor. And that's why I keep coming back to Ring of Honor. And that's why I'm there now. Like, there's, there's nothing preventing me from wrestling in other organizations to this day. It's, it's being an independent wrestler is, really speaks to me. And it really allows me to have the schedule that I, I control, um, it allows me to travel to the places I want to go to and to, to really be in charge of my own destiny. Because at, at WWE, like you said, unless you're pushed, you're powerless. You know, you show up on Monday, they give you a script at three, and then at seven o'clock it changes, and then at nine o'clock you're getting time cut. And it's just, 
it's a wild world and they really need performers, you know, li like what I could do then to really be adaptive and be helpful and be a part of a gigantic TV show that millions of people watched. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could tell like my, my, just my mentality is whatever people think, I typically think the opposite, whatever, you know, wherever everybody else leans this way, I'm looking at it from a different perspective. And that's what makes me different in the ring, but that's what makes my career different than a lot of other people's as well. All right, well, we're going to circle back to Ring of Honor. Uh, you mentioned something there that was uh, that intrigued me. We're going to get to your second ROH run and, and what the future may hold. We're going to take a quick break first and then come back. Um, we'll do our final segment with Matt, and then later on we've got Quinn McKay. Come back right after this. Welcome, Ring of Honor fans. It is our distinct pleasure to bring to you not only 18 years of great professional wrestling, the best professional wrestling on the planet, but tonight, a very important topic. It is the first of many ROH roundtables. And tonight, we're going to be discussing Black Lives Matter, police brutality, and what it means to be black in professional wrestling, race and racism in the sport that we love. ROH Roundtable, now available on youtube.com slash ring of honor. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong podcast. My guest is Matt Seidel. I uh, want to circle back, as I said before the break, to uh, your second ROH run, which was 2014 to 2017. What stands out to you from that second run? I mean, I, you had singles matches against guys like Okada and Tanahashi. Um, so that had to be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it all started with a singles match with Jay Lethal for the TV title in New York. And I was just like, oh, my God, it feels good to be back. It was, it, you know, it that that was a huge match for me um well actually like my my first match back was um with aj in west virginia i'm trying to think i like it, it it just felt great to be back at ring of honor um you know i wasn't really committed to wrestling under contract anywhere and i was uh just starting to go back to work for dragon gate as well um but like through ring of honor again i got connections to new japan and was able to begin splitting my time at New Japan and Ring of Honor. And boy, I was working like a madman in those days. I mean, it was just a lot of traveling, a lot of work. And yeah, I mean, I was, I, I was a part of some awesome matches with the Young Bucks. Uh, they were the hottest act in wrestling, period. And they, we would just go out there and have these amazing matches. And, and Nick and Matt would put on just these clinics every night. Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish uh war beard i mean th this was just a stacked roster i got to have some uh, some of my favorite memories are wrestling with ach we had like a best of five series that had a bunch of gems in there i mean i i didn't go back and watch them all but rumor has it people told me they didn't suck um and then me you know ta tagging with him and you know, it was coming back in from a different angle with a little bit more veteran experience, but really still fighting to um, be considered a top star. And sometimes you got to go away to come back, you know. So I've been, you know, just do, doing my own thing. And 2018, I went to Impact. 2019, I blew out my knee. Well, I blew it out like the day after Christmas, 2018. And so 2019, all I did was just recover. And uh, I, I started wrestling again kind of for Rev Pro in the UK. 
and and defy and just mainly doing indie indie work and then this year's just been insane because there hasn't been any wrestling so i actually the last event that i was scheduled for was the ring of honor past versus present i was just that, that match just motivated me i spent weeks thinking about it and just had a lot of excitement and unfortunately the coronavirus came and actually our ROH was very responsible with their early action in canceling that event. So I feel like I have some unfinished business to say the least. You mentioned Flip Gordon and I know that you faced him in what was his first ROH match. Did you think that Flip kind of had this, this potential that we've seen him fulfill? What, what do you remember from that match? Yeah, well, I will say, Kevin, you're right. All, all the guys that, that I wrestle make look great do become successes in wrestling. So, I mean, it's basically all you're, if you're crediting me for Flip's success, then you're right. I did it. <laughs> no, I, um, you know, it was, it, Flip, remind, like, the, the task I got with Flip was very similar to what I was told when I got ACH the first time. Hey, we've got this young wrestler. He's going to be great. Will you work him? Will you do the match? And so there's not much you can do. I like, I, I like Flip, Flip and I have gone back and laughed about this match because, you know, it, it was, he, he struggled to kind of understand what I was getting at and what, what I wanted. But I, I think I've watched it back one time and I was much more happy with it. It's just when you're wrestling in a crowd, we were in Baltimore, I think we were at some soccer stadium and just the fans, they were, like it reminded me of a Philadelphia crowd. Like Flip would do something, working hard to get the crowd on his side, and they just were not. We couldn't get him to bite. We couldn't get him to like basically the very end to to dig their teeth in and really enjoy the match. I mean, they were there for it, but um, I imagine if if I was lucky enough to get a, a singles match with Flip again, the amount of crowd support he has get garnered between now and then would really add intensity to the match. It would really add excitement to the match. And I, I like sign me up for that rematch anytime. Like the, the looking forward to the tag match was great, but really like, I mean, a few years, like the, I know how much progress a wrestler can make from day one in ring of honor to like, what has he now been three years or four years in ring of honor? Yeah, I think three years. So that that's like exponential growth. So the first year or two in wrestling, he, he was, you know, you just grow at a linear rate. And then when you get in there and you're seeing the Briscoe brothers wrestle every night and Jay Lethal wrestle every night and Matt Taven every, every weekend you're on the shows, you have no choice but like to make this exponential growth otherwise, or you'll just end up getting boot, getting the boot. And Flip's got this ability to adapt to a situation to grow and learn on the fly. And he just really has a genuineness about him as, as a person and as a pro wrestling character, there's something genuine and tangible that fans cling to and grab onto that I felt when I wrestled him the first time, I felt that there was like a genuineness to his approach to wrestling. He wasn't trying to wrestle to be he didn't want to be a famous guy on tv he wanted to be a good wrestler and that's why ring of honor is the perfect place for him because he's he's just gotten better and better as a wrestler and his star power grows because his confidence grows but he's still that genuine young man who shows up works hard puts in the effort and isn't afraid to like i said suffer a little bit more than the rest of us you know he's not afraid to 
to take the beating and still rise up. And, I mean, he's not afraid to do crazy hardcore matches. I know he blew out his elbow doing a 450 through a table, which is just an absolutely insane concept. I mean, he was standing there looking at the table and thought, oh, I'll do a 450. Like, you, he's a special talent, and Ring of Honor has a, an eye for these guys because they don't just bring in a, anybody. Th- this is a calculated, thought-through idea, and, and how they're going to launch his career is by putting him in there with as many guys with experience. Very similar to, like, how AJ and Chris Daniels helped launch my career. It, it wasn't like – it wasn't because we liked him as a person. It's because we liked each other – as wrestlers and we did it it was just this you know we didn't need each other's phone numbers to text hey thanks for working with me last night i appreciate you it was just all about the honor of what goes on in that ring and that's a tradition that i've been really proud to carry on when that second my big second run in ring of honor i really felt like i was kind of reminding guys hey this is ring of honor you you can't just uh take the easy way out like i i would encourage guys to fail with their own creativity than to rely on some old stuff that you know will work. And I think Flip embodies that because when you see him wrestle, he's not wrestling like anyone else. He wrestles very in a very original style. And uh, Ring of Honor fans respect it and they love it. And, I mean, it's been great to see him grow from there. But, yeah, I mean, that match was just one of these ones that I was – frustrated i'm always frustrated if the crowd's not going insane and i'm always like what did we miss like how do we like you they you told me the crowd would like this guy and, you know they didn't care <laughs> <laughs> you promised me they would care well being a baltimorean myself uh you never know how those crowds in baltimore are going to react uh, i wouldn't take it personally I mean, yeah, I, 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 re- I really didn't. And like Flip did and we just had a, we've had a good laugh over that match a couple of times. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the, uh, I guess the 800 pound gorilla in the room, because you've kind of hinted, you've said certain things about ring of honor. We know that you were scheduled to be on that past versus present show, which unfortunately didn't happen. Um, is there a chance we could see you back in ring of honor in the near future when we start running shows again? Yeah, so like, like I said, this quarantine's been crazy, and um, I, I haven't been doing much wrestling, but I have been training at my dojo, the Sai Dojo. I mentioned it earlier, S-Y-D-O-J-O.com, Sai Dojo, Clearwater, Florida. Come on down if you're looking to learn how to wrestle. But uh, I've been staying sharp, to say the least. You know, my, like, through injuries, your weapons can get old, dirty, and dull. And so I just spend every day of the week sharpening my tools and waiting for an opportunity and waiting for the right opportunity. And the right opportunity has presented itself to me uh, because the, the wrestling gods always look out for me. And Ring of Honor is putting together something very special. And I'm honored to announce that I will be the a participant of and let's just call me the number one seed of the ring of honor pure title tournament wow details on the tournament and who's in it are are upcoming and i don't really i don't know what else is going on but they asked me if i if i was willing to participate and and to be a part of what's going to be a groundbreaking revolutionary tournament and i thought oh yeah give me this challenge because the i was in ring of honor when the original pure title was there. And I remember just watching Nigel McGuinness and Chad Collier steal the show 
with their technique and I feel that the, it, it is the perfect fit for me. And to go into Ring of Honor with a goal of becoming champion is one of the things that I haven't always had. And so now I can see myself and visualize myself as the new Ring of Honor, pure champion. I am great in tournaments, and I really feel like this is a very favorable condition for me to return to Ring of Honor on. Now, believe me, I still want my past versus present uh, match, tag match. I want to run that, but I don't want to be considered the past. I, it, to me, I, if, if you're not at the crest of the wave of wrestling, then you're nothing. And I will show the entire world that what I do cannot be duplicated and that Matt Seidel is a visionary, high-flying wrestler that can be your pure champion. Wow, that's amazing. That is great news. I think I, I speak for all Ring of Honor fans and saying that is awesome that you're going to be in the pure tournament. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. But breaking news on the ROH Strong podcast uh, this week, and I, I, I can't wait. So that gets up and running and we start having shows again. And man, that is definitely something to look forward to. Uh, you never challenged for the pure title back in the day, right? That, that is correct. I, I was not ready for it. Okay. <laughs> I would have been in over my head. Like Nigel would have whooped me and larried me into next Tuesday. Like, I mean, it really, and, and you know, I never, like I said, I never take it personally when you don't get those opportunities because if you grind long enough and hard enough and keep, sharpening your weapons the right opportunity comes at the exact right time and i i really do need to make a statement i you know i was i won the impact uh, x division title in 2018 but i i need to make a stand for myself and and um i need to sell more t-shirts on pro wrestling tees you know i i need to become an indie darling once again and and the pure title is a way the pure title tournament is a really good way to do it because i know wrestling fans around the world will be really intrigued by this new tournament. And tournaments just have a special lore in wrestling. And it really requires wrestlers to dig deep and to show, you know, how much, not only how much technique and skill they have, but really how much heart and how much guts they have. And I love throwing all that out in front of everybody in the ring. Uh, and so, yeah, this pure title tournament, you know, I, we, we agreed to do this podcast before I had agreed to be in the pure title tournament. That's how recent this is. So I don't have like a ton of thoughts on it all, but I just want to let all the fans know at Ring of Honor and around the world that they will have their chance to see what I'm saying. Wow. Well, like I said, that is awesome. I was already looking forward to the pure title tournament, but uh, now I'm actually looking forward to it even more. So, uh, man, I can't wait till we make that official announcement. You see who else is in it. As, you know, I know there were some names announced beforehand, but I can't wait till we see brackets and all that stuff. That, that's going to be awesome. Um, Matt, the final thing that we do usually on the podcast with our guests is uh, we play a little game called 10 Questions where I ask you quick, uh, quick hitting questions. Are you up for doing that? Uh, yeah, I'll do uh, seven. No, I'm just kidding. Ten's great. <laughs> All right, here we go. 10 Questions with Matt Seidel. And it is now time for 10 Questions with Kevin. Question number one, what's something on your bucket list? This could be wrestling or just life in general. Uh, j jump out of a plane with PJ Black. Okay. Yeah, I've had P PJ's been a guest on this show. Um, I, I I don't think there's any amount of money he could pay me to do some of the stuff that he does. But uh, you're a bit of a daredevil. I could see you doing that. 
Well, I'll save it till I'm really old. <laughs> it's a bucket list. Okay. Question number two, what's something that's popular that you don't see the appeal of at all? Expensive sneakers, spending money on shoes or clothing or anything like that. Oh, I think it's, I think it's nonsense. I think it's just everybody gets poor people get fooled. Sorry. Uh, pe people get fooled and it's a, a poor state of affairs. Yeah. <laughs> 100% agree with you on that. Question number three, you have a guilty pleasure, something you enjoy that eh, maybe you would not, you know, necessarily care to admit. Oh, well, I mean, I care to admit it, but my guilty pleasure is cacti. I love growing and cactus and aloes and just gardening, hmm. basically. All right. I don't think there's any reason to be ashamed of that. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm probably, yeah, I, you can call me Cactus Matt Seidel for all I care. <laughs> nice. All right. Question number four. What's the best advice you've been given about the wrestling business and who gave it to you? That's a great question. What's the best advice I've been given? I was supposed to be coming with quick answers, but uh, the best advice I've been given is, I don't know. I got nothing on that one. <laughs> well, you've just been given so much great advice from so many veterans over the years i guess uh, well let, let me tell you this the best advice you get in wrestling isn't verbal it's nonverbal. you know wrestling is, is a, a, a you know we're, we're wrestling so you can't verbalize a lot of physical actions and it's sort of in the intangibles where you learn the real secret lessons of pro wrestling so if you can verbalize it i mean more power to people who can verbalize that kind of advice but you really can't verbalize some things and probably it would have been in japanese anyway so nobody would have understood it <laughs> I think the most important advice I've ever gotten is, here we go. It's a phrase in Japanese that they, you say to other people you work with, and it's Oskara Samades, which is just thank you for your work. Because you're thanking people, the people who set up the ring, the people who do the sound, the people who do the videos, the guys who wrestle across the ring from you. You're saying thanks for your work, not just your work tonight, but all the work that led you up to this day, all, all the effort and sacrifice you put in before today, your whole life, all you've done to bring it today for, for the work that you put out today. Thank you for your work. And that's like the best thing I've ever heard. So. Yeah. That's a great answer. You, you went from having well, nothing to, to one of the best answers I've heard to that question. That's awesome. Hey, Kevin. <laughs> All right. Question number five, what's a subject you'd like to know more about? I mean, it's tough when you're so well read and knowledgeable. Uh, but lately, I'm really into learning about uh, Russian history and sort of the Russian Revolution. That's what I'm looking to learn more about. Okay. And I wish my Japanese was better. Gotcha. All right, question number six. This is a much more straightforward, uh, easy one. Question six, are you a dog person, cat person, both, or neither? <laughs> I mean, that's just silly. Um, the the Like, I wish I could do this Zen thing where it, the – the simple question you ask, I give you a long answer. And if you ask a really intricate question, I just give a simple answer. So with cats and dogs, I'm just going to keep rambling on. I, let's just say I'm a hamster person. Hamster. Okay. So the, so the answer yeah. to the question is neither. Neither dogs yes. nor cats. Yes. The pet we have at home is a hamster named Cutest. So that's, that's oh, my, where my loyalties are these days. All right. I'm a jaguar. As my spirit animal is a jaguar, so I guess technically that makes me in the cat family. But um, for pets, you know, we, we went with a hamster. Okay. Well, you can never go wrong with a hamster. 
They are cute. Question number seven. If you could have a conversation with any person from the past or present, alive or dead, who would you like to sit down and talk to? Uh, Howard Zinn. He's a historian and a civil rights protester. Okay. Question number eight. Do you have any hidden talents? We know what you're good at. Is there anything that you're good at that we don't know about? Uh, well, I mean, I'll just say I'm, I'm good at coaching wrestling and I have um, some hidden talents in Photoshop. And uh, my hidden talent is that my girlfriend and I make wrestling gear. We make, we make neat Japanese style knee pads. And that's definitely my hidden talent is doing graphics and logos on people's gear. Okay. Well, that's something I learned something. I didn't know that. Uh, question number nine, clearly you're in fantastic physical shape. Uh, do you have, a, ch a favorite cheat food though donuts that's a good one that's a weak spot for, for a lot of us yeah had about three yesterday <laughs> well you've earned it because you keep yourself in great shape so you gotta you gotta treat yourself every once in a while nothing wrong with that all right thanks question number 10 question number 10 i don't know if you've ever been asked this but i'll ask it anyway are you a fan of the Jason Bourne film series? Yeah, I, I, I was. I mean, it's been a long time since I watched them, but I was very inspired by the, uh, at least the namesake, yeah. Because you didn't call yourself Evan Bourne, right? That's a name someone gave you, isn't it? No, I made it up. Uh, oh, me did. and Joy Styles and I made it up, yeah. They tried to give me some horrible name, and in typical Matt fashion, I go, uh, that's great, but uh, can I have five minutes to think on it? And uh, I like basically just asked CM Punk, like, what do I do? They just gave me this name. It's terrible. Um, and he said, talk to Joey Styles. Talk to Joey Styles. And he and I collaborated and came up with Evan Bourne. Okay. Well, do you remember the bad name? I mean, was it like Matt McGillicuddy or something like that? Oh, uh, it, it was, you know, I had listed a bunch of names that were, yeah, it was, it, no, it was actually like Jason Jordan or Jack Jordan or something silly like that. Okay. My mom's maiden name is Jordan. So. I thought, oh, we'll try and use Jordan in it. And then I was like, it's just not a great name. Didn't there end up being a Jason Jordan in WWE? Yeah. The, uh, yeah, I think he's still there. Okay. Yeah, Kurt Angle's uh, illegitimate son or something like that. Yeah. Not, yeah. not me, though. Not you. Okay. All right, Matt. Thank you. I'm Sheldon Corkman's legitimate son. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and that brings us to, to the end. Uh, what, a, what a note to end on. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Matt. Uh, it was a great conversation. Um, and man, thanks for, for sharing the news with us that you're going to be in the pure title tournament. Can't wait to see that. Yes, this way it will. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. That's all that, you know, I haven't even had a chance to let it sit in, but we will let things unfold as they do. And the as nature unfolds in front of us. And uh, I would just, if there's gambling or betting on this, I would just, you know, put some, put some money on old Matt Seidel. I'm going to open some eyes, open some hearts, open some minds. All right. Not that we're encouraging time. that. That's just for informational uh, purposes only, not an inducement to wager. You're sure. Yeah, sure. Just okay. like, just like, yeah. Hey, I, I do think one thing, this ROH Strong podcast, I just keep waiting for when Roddy's going to be on. Is he, is he busy these days? <laughs> um, I don't know. That Mr. He, ROH. Yeah, the R, R, the ROH Strong podcast. You, you, you can now be Mr. ROH 
strong podcast. Kevin. Yes. You got a hey, new I, I would I would love to have him on. I don't know that his present employer would allow it, but certainly the invitation is there. Yeah. My man, he was Mr. ROA. I can't believe I didn't get it, mention anything with Roddy, but boy, he was there from 2000 when I was there in 2004 when I went back. I mean, he's just always been a huge part of ROH and a huge part of my career and pushing me to get get better and better and so like on a podcast called ROH Strong, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention old Roddy Strong and how influential and important he was in the grand scheme of my tenure at ROH. For sure. Yeah. I, when we mentioned all those names earlier, he absolutely, I, I should have uh, had him on that list. No question about it. Before I let you go, do, is there, are you active on social media? Is there, can, can fans find you somewhere? Oh yeah. I am on this thing called Instagram. It's uh, my name is spelled M A T T S Y D A L at Matt Seidel on Instagram. My Twitter handle is really old. It's at find Evan F I N D E V A N at find Evan on Twitter. You can probably just Google Matt Seidel on uh, this thing called google.com or uh, whatever search engine you prefer. Look, look me up, hit me up. I'm on pro forward slash Matt Seidel. I haven't sold many t-shirts. I could really use a boost on that. Uh, it's been, uh, but more importantly, my message to all the fans are you can check out sidedojo.com, but just take care of yourself and your friends and your family, those closest to you. And don't worry about complaining about wrestling online. Just take care of those people around you. <laughs> all right, Matt, thanks again. Can't wait to see you back in ring of honor. We're going to take our final break and then we'll be back with Quinn McKay. I'm Maynard the Malt Maker. I am Mega the Bard. I'm Ander the Goliath. I'm Santi the Bard. I'm Sia the Wizard. And I'm Quinn McKay. And to see what character I'll be playing, you'll have to check out the next episode of Roleplay of Honor. Join these stars and more for Roleplay of Honor. Welcome back to the ROH Strong Podcast. My special guest at this time is ROH's bespectacled, bow-tie-wearing, popular on-air personality, the host of ROH Week by Week on YouTube. You know her, you love her. She's my very good friend and fellow journalist, Quinn McKay. Quinn, welcome to the show. Hello, Kevin. It's nice to uh, to speak with you. Um, I have to say, I, I think the one thing that I may have embellished in that intro is the very good friend part. Um, because I don't know if we're even friends anymore. So I, I'm just going to get right into it. Do we have heat? Um, no, I wouldn't say that we like officially have heat. I was just trying to provide you with context and I would not be doing my due diligence if I did not have receipts. Okay. Well, for people who may not know, I'm just going to do a brief uh, recap that you and I had a Twitter exchange recently, uh, which stemmed from uh, something I wrote in my uh, weekly X-Files column, which drops every Friday on ROHwrestling.com. I wrote about how I thought you were asking for trouble when you said on ROH week by week that if you were a wrestler and you had a finishing move, it would be a snap power slam and you would use it on Angelina Love. Angelina, yes. obviously, that didn't sit well with her. And she responded by saying you should keep her name out of your mouth. 
I wrote that I think that's good advice because I was concerned for your health. Now here's, I'm going to call up the tweet here. Here's what you said on Twitter. And I quote, frankly, Kevin, I don't give a damn about what you think I should do regarding Angel. To which I responded that I just didn't want to see you get hurt. Uh, and I may have thrown in a, a line about uh, don't get your bow tie in a bunch and something about Danhausen. But the basic mm-hmm. idea was I didn't want to see you get hurt. To which you replied, quote, if a woman wants your opinion, she'll ask for it. Until then, S-T-F-U. Hey, there's a mm. hug emoji in there. There's a hug emoji in there. And that was just a screenshot of something that I had previously tweeted sometime last month. Um, and I thought it was relevant to you giving me unsolicited advice. Because while I appreciate your friendship and I appreciate your knowledge, I um, I didn't ask for your opinion. And I I, I don't want there to be this misconception that because I am, I am a nice person and a kind person and good at my job, that I will just, that like I'm a pushover because I'm not and I will stand up for myself. Angelina Love fired some shots and to my view, you supported that. Um, and I, like if someone wishes me harm, then I'm going to fight back to whatever, to whatever extent I am able to. And I don't feel like me getting mouthy with Angelina Love was a reason for you to write an article. Like, was it just a really slow news day, Kevin? <laughs> no, as a, as a journalist, you understand we've got to go for the headlines that people are going to click on. And I thought a headline that said, you know, heat intensifies between Quinn McKay and Angelina Love was going to get you know, it was going to spark interest. It's all about the hits. You know that. Okay. Yes. Every click counts as oh. I have notified Angelina herself. Um, also, I don't know that I'm actually allowed to be saying her name right now because as you know, I had to like, we were wrapping up week by week and I had a phone call from her at the very, very end. So I had to like wrap up super quickly and take a phone call from her in which she just reiterated to me that I'm not allowed to say her name anymore. So... We'll see how that turns out. I guess I'll let the office handle it. Yeah. Hey, I was going to ask you about that phone call. So I'm, I'm guessing she was, uh, again, not pleased with you. It was a very short phone call. And to put it simply and concisely, she doesn't want me to say her name. So I don't, I don't know how we're going to handle that if she wants to be talked about on week by week. But we're going to have to figure something out going forward, I guess. Yeah, that's a tough spot for one of the voices of, of Ring of Honor to not be able to say one of the uh, prominent wrestlers uh, on the roster, not be able to say their name. That does put you in a, in a tough spot. So I, um, I feel for you on that one. I got to ask you, though, it, it seems like you and Angelina just disliked each other right from the start. I mean, why do you think she instantly took a disliking to you? Because you're a likable person. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I think, (laughs) um, uh, okay, you're, you're slowly getting back on my good side. Okay. I'll accept that as like a half apology for, for writing a a bogus article about me and giving me unsolicited advice. Okay. Well, I don't don't think I never said bogus article and all that, but I don't want us to get, again, I don't want us to get off track here. So (laughs) we're on good terms now. Go ahead. Okay. 
Um, I don't, I don't know why Angelina doesn't like me. I didn't do anything to her. I've never done anything except try to speak to her about her motivations and her career. And every time I do that, she like knocks my glasses off or pushes me down in front of a crowd full of people or makes fun of my bow tie or tells me I look like I work at Red Lobster. Um, yeah, that was a good I think one. that, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Sorry, that was sorry. a good no, one. No, I, I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. Because I'm pretty sure what you said was that was a good one. <laughs> well, do uh, we'll do you own way. an allure shirt? Do you own an allure shirt? I just need to know. No, I am actually. Uh, I mean, I respect what the allure has accomplished, but you know, they're not exactly. They haven't been kind to me either. I've interviewed them on a couple of occasions. Uh, you say. Did, yeah, you say ahead. you respect what they have accomplished, but like. What has Angelina accomplished so far in Ring of Honor except be a complete and utter nightmare? Well, she did, as you know, uh, win the Women of Honor World Championship, which makes her a seven-time world champion. Uh, I mean, that's, I'd say that's a lot, wouldn't you? Yeah, but what did she do with that championship in Ring of Honor? Like, did she make the women's division better? Did she bring any more awareness to the, to the prestige of the title? Like... Did, I, don't, I don't recall her making any media appearances. I don't recall her doing anything as champion. Well, I would, I would contend that having a, a person who has accomplished as much as she has in the business, I mean, let's be honest, Quinn, whether you like her or not, she's been around for almost 20 years. As we said, she's won world titles uh, in different organizations. I would think just having her on the roster uh, gives more credibility to the division. Would you not agree with that? I agree to that to some extent. And I, com I respect Angelina completely for everything that she has accomplished in her career, but that doesn't mean anything. If you come into the women's locker room and then do nothing, but like breed this fragility and mistrust into it, like I'm not part of the women's locker room, so I guess I can't speak to that. I don't see how she actually interacts with the wrestlers. But if this is the kind of, um, like, relationship that you form with the people that work around you, how can you claim that you're a positive force in your locker room? How can you claim that you're a positive force in the company? Angelina hasn't done anything but, like, like I said, rain terror down among the women's division since she has been here. Yeah, well, I won't disagree with. Yeah, I won't disagree with that. Uh, her and Mandy are certainly very divisive in the locker room. I mean, let's be honest; they have no friends except for each other. Uh, so I think you do make a good point there. It's not about sisterhood in the locker room with the allure around. That's that's for sure. But then again, you know, there's an old saying in this business, Quinn: you can make money or you can make friends. And I think I think Angelina's made a lot of money in this business. Okay. Well then I guess if she wants to continue to cement herself as a moneymaker, then she's going to have to make it all the way to the finals of the Quest for Gold tournament and try to win the women's championship again. Well, that's, that's true. I'd have to say, um, obviously, that tournament was going to take place in April, which, of course, it got postponed because of what's going on in the world. But I would have to say um, she's one of the favorites, I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that, that she'd be one of the favorites to win that just based on her experience and all of her accomplishments. But let me ask you this question, and I want to phrase it um, so you don't get offended. I'm not, I'm not putting my opinion into this or giving you advice. I'm just saying, stating a fact. Angelina Love, as I said, seven-time world champion, 
they call her the badass of the allure for God's sake and for good reason. Are you not worried at all that antagonizing her, uh, you've already admitted like she's knocked your glasses off. I remember that time in Pittsburgh where she, she shoved you down to the mat violently. Um, you're not a wrestler, uh, Quinn. Are you not worried about antagonizing her? Kevin, this isn't, I'm not antagonizing her. At this point, it's just retaliation. Okay. Well, you did say you wanted to snap power slam her. I mean, that's... I said that hypothetically, if I was a wrestler, and then I just fired something off the cuff, okay? I made like a passing statement. I made a joke. I make jokes all the time. No one ever takes them seriously. And she got bent out of shape about it. And she got offended by it. And that's not on me. After everything that she has done to me, since she has known me, since I have worked for Ring of Honor, after everything that she has put me through, I think that that's just a tiny, tiny grain. She's making a mountain out of a mole, out of a molehill. That's what she's doing. Okay. All right. Well, Quinn, because I do want us to stay on good terms, I, I will say no more about it. I will offer no more advice. I will just say if Angelina does get physical with, with you again and hurt you, um, because I'm your friend, I will not say I told you so. Well, she's also going to have to take that up at the office because I am an employee, not a wrestler. That's true. That's true. And you also have to um, maintain your objectivity, though, as a journalist. So it works both ways, I would think. I will do my best. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let, let's enough of that unpleasantness. Let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, for those who haven't watched ROH week by week, uh, first of all, shame on you for not watching. Uh, Quinn, tell the people what they're missing uh, with the ROH week by week and when and where they can watch it every week. ROH week by week is literally everything that we do every week. It's all the content that we've been providing since we haven't been able to get together and actually put on matches in a ring and put out new content that way. So we're doing it this way instead. Um, so week by week kind of just tells you everything that's been going on. You can watch it every Monday at 1 p.m. A new episode drops on our YouTube um, which is just, you know, found basically everywhere. We'll share the link if you follow us anywhere on social media, if you're not subscribed to us on YouTube. But if you aren't, you should, because then you'll never miss an episode. But yeah, we have, we ask a question of the week. Sometimes there's a physique of the week where we have a flex off or a pose off. And then uh, we get to hear what everyone's been up to, like the bouncers with their happy hour and, and that kind of thing. Okay. Well, you are, uh, to my knowledge, the only woman in pro wrestling to host a show solo. Uh, can, yes. you put into, can you put into words what that means to you? Because that's a huge, huge honor and accomplishment. Well, I didn't realize that it was happening until it had already happened. Like, <laughs> no one ever told me that I was going to be hosting the, the show solo and that Ian was going to step away from a hosting position for a while. And I'm... I'm not sure what the plan is with that going forward because I host week by week by myself and I was hosting Ring of Honor weekly by myself as well for TV. And I, I don't know. It's cool to have made history in some small way. Like even if my career ends tomorrow, at least that first is out of the way and more women can now just host wrestling shows. I think that it's about time that we stop having the first woman to do anything because it's 2020 and women should be doing absolutely everything. 
I agree with that, but I'm not going to voice an opinion because unless a woman asks for my opinion, I'm going to just STF you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. My early, okay. my go ahead, go ahead. Mostly that just uh, um, applies to unsolicited advice. I understand. That's, that's the big thing. Right. I understand. And I missed the hug emoji. So I, maybe, I, uh, maybe I overreacted and, and got my feelings hurt unnecessarily. There was also a butterfly and a flower emoji. Yeah, I didn't understand what all that meant. I really did. I didn't quite get it. Um, but anyway, we've 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 aired out our our dirty laundry, uh, so every, right. everything's cool. Um, my first guest today uh, was Matt Seidel, and yes. I know that uh, I don't know if you heard, but he broke the news that he is going to be in the ROH Pure Title Tournament when we get back up and running again. So I'm so excited about scoop. that. I got a scoop that ROH week by week didn't get. Yes, you did. However. I will dampen it a little bit and rain on your parade a little because I did say and suggest that we should rehire him. I saw that. Yes. Yes. So I'm just well, I don't saying. Think that, I, don't, I don't really think it happened because of your suggestion, I, but, but yeah. Can you, you prove that? Can you prove it? I cannot, I cannot prove it. So yes, maybe you were prescient, I guess. Is that, is that a good word? I'd like to think that I'm just knowledgeable and know things and maybe people listen to what I say. You're not going to let me, let me have the one scoop, are you? Okay, I will let you have the scoop. I'm just saying that I think that I may have potentially impacted it. Okay, all right, fair enough. Well, I know that one, one thing that you have in common with Matt, it's like we have a theme today on this show, not, not on purpose, but um, he's from St. Louis. I know that you're also from Missouri, although what, what part are, are you from? So I'm from central Missouri. I'm from Springfield. That's where I went to college. And okay. I grew up in a really small town right outside of Lake Ozark, Missouri. So if you've ever seen the show Ozarks, that's, that's where I grew up. Okay. So I know that you've relocated to Baltimore, which is obviously yeah. the, home, the home base for Ring of Honor. So what's been the biggest adjustment from Missouri to Maryland? Was there, was there a culture shock involved there? Yeah. Everything is everything is different. Like everything on the East coast is so much more fast paced and uptight and close together. And there are so many more people. And I just miss like the wide open spaces of Missouri. And I hope I get that song stuck in at least one person's head today. <laughs> okay. All right, Quinn. Well, before we wrap up, uh, where can people find you on social media? And uh, do you have any final words for the fans? Yes, um, you can find me on Twitter at Quinn McKay and on Instagram at Real Quinn McKay. And my words for the fans would be, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please like my show. <laughs> All right, no begging, um, no begging. Okay, I'm not, I'm not. I asked politely because you I'm did. a nice, polite person. Unlike she who shall not be named. That's right, don't say it, okay. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Glenn. Um, I'm glad we had this, uh, this chance to, to clear the air. Um, Me too. And thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, keep it locked into ROHwrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor on Facebook for news of when and where future episodes of the ROH Strong podcast will be available. Stay safe, everyone, and let's all be ROH Strong. Say goodbye, Quinn. Goodbye.